You're listening to Impolite Society with Laura and Rachel. Looking for a mind at work, work, looking for a mind at work. We're getting I never to know any of the songs you're referencing, Rachel. Work. <laughs> this one is a very topical to the conversation we're going to have. Ooh. And we're going to be doing some work on our own to talk about some history. But before we dive in, I feel like we should say this is the Impolite Society podcast. Hello. So this is the podcast where we take turns asking each other questions that you're too afraid to ask. Stuff that would make your grandmother blush. Or that wouldn't fly in polite society. And that's what we're digging into today. A question that may have crossed your mind, but you're too afraid to ask. And I know this for a fact because this is what happened to me. And it's actually very relevant because less than a week ago... Something happened that prompted this question. Dan and I went on a vacation. Dan, my husband, and I went on a vacation. We did the Great American Road Trip, went out west, and one of the stops we made outside of the Corn Palace and (laughs) the uh, wall drug was at Mount Rushmore. And I took a picture. Dan is a big fan of George Washington. So Mm -hmm. I took a picture of him in front of it, and I posted it on Instagram. Then, I kid you not, months later, this happened over the summer, months later, I opened my Instagram and I have a comment from someone I've never met in my life, and it is a ton of angry faces under Dan's picture with Mount Rushmore. This is someone you don't know that just found your Instagram account? What's crazy is it's actually like six degrees of separation. It was a coworker that it was a coworker's coworker. So somebody had worked with a team that I worked with, but we never hmm. crossed paths. So somewhere in the algorithm, Instagram decided that she might know me and showed her my photo, which she instantly hated, and then decided she felt the need to comment on negatively. But just with with angry faces. No actual Well, there's also some gibberish after it, too. So (laughs) uh, I think she might have been a little bit wine drunk and and trolling around. Or just a little bit unstable. (laughs) That's also a possibility. (laughs) It seems like it a little bit. But anyway, so I commented on it back saying like, ha-ha, essentially, and then she deleted it. But long story short... (laughs) It got me thinking, you know, did I do something wrong when yeah. I posted this picture of Dan and Mount Rushmore? And I asked the coworker that we shared, that shared connection we had, and his response was, oh, maybe she was just reacting to the white slave owners above your husband's shoulder. And I was just like, oh, okay. That's, that's you know, was not what I was expecting. Yeah. So that leads me to my impolite question for you today. Does... Having a picture of Mount Rushmore on my Instagram or having any kind of appreciation or interest in the founding fathers, does that make me an out-of-touch white person or, at the very worst, does it make me a racist? Well, I definitely have an opinion on this, but uh, I feel like we should maybe dive into the the itty-gritty a little bit first, though. And by the way, that in the background, everybody, is my cat who has busted his way into my podcasting room and is now meowing and walking around me. Yes, he's our thank guest you. star. Yeah, he guest has a star lot bug. of insight on the issue, so he wants to weigh <laughs> in. And this issue is, of course, brought to light. Um, we are all our eyes are all being opened over the summer of we. You know, you're here. You've been through it, listener and Laura. You know what? what's going on. What's happening in the world? I thought it was all sunshine and daisies around I'm here. I'm Rip Van Winkle. I've been sleeping <laughs> since 2008. No, so you know what's been going on. It's it's causing a lot of us to question and second guess what we've been told about America's history. Right? That maybe we're not this shining city on the hill. And I mean, obviously we're not. 
There's mm-hmm. a huge part of our country's founding was based on people being property. Mm-hmm. It's it's really causing us to challenge our beliefs around there. And of course, this was brought to life over the summer with the uh, publishing on Disney Plus of Hamilton. Have Ooh, you watched be- Hamilton? Uh, I have no, I, I, no. And I didn't even know that there was a hubbub about Hamilton. I thought everyone loved it. Well, loving it was very like 2015, and now we've all progressed past that kind of like colorblindness, kumbaya stuff. What's wrong with Hamilton? There's a lot. Well, I can tell you, like, as a person, is that what people are have a problem with now that we're telling the story? In this, in this case, it's just more related on the founding fathers and using people of color to play white slaveholders instead of focusing on the actual stories of people of color who played a factor in the American Revolution. So they're saying that they're still glorifying these these people, but just doing it in a way that's supposed to make us feel better about it. Whereas of two years ago, it was amazing and groundbreaking that they had people of color playing white founding fathers. Yes. Yes. Wow. It's kind Things of like the dis- really fast. The disnification of race in America. You know, because there's a shift. I mean, we when we were growing up, it was don't see color, don't acknowledge race. Mm-hmm. And that, that's obviously not working, right? Like, that's not the way to do it. So now we're kind of shifting. And I think the changing view on Hamilton is in line with that shift. Where It's hard to keep up, man. Like, I didn't know that Hamilton was uncool. <laughs> well, I will say my personal critique is that it would not pass the Bechdel test. So I'm coming from 100% feminist point of view. I have no th- idea what that is. You don't know what the Bechdel test is? No. Oh my gosh. Maybe the that Bechdel should be te- another podcast. <laughs> no, okay, here's the, here's the Cliff Notes version of it. Bechdel test is do do women in a piece of literature, movie, art, pop culture, do they talk to each other for more than a certain amount of time without mentioning their relationship to men? So basically like are the women characters or are they only, you know, are they only there explicitly for romantic relationships development okay and this one did not pass it all i mean those (laughs) women are just swooning all over him the whole time and i'm like i i don't buy it but it's fine (laughs) so who are the founding fathers right so if we this is a very american thing to talk about right and i know we have such a global fan base Uh, this so so large so vast uh, yeah, so I want to, you know, catch you up on what's been happening over here in America for the last 300 years. <laughs> the first thing is that there were all of these guys, you know, back in the 17, 70s, 60s, they started having these crazy ideas about like, wow, we shouldn't be taxed if we can't be a part of the laws that are deciding the taxing. Taxation they decided without representation, which is still going on in Washington, D.C., just let that hang there for a second. But there are a small group. I mean, there was a lot of them who were involved in the first Continental Congress. But either way, they said, you know, get out of here. We don't want you, Britain. King George, bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> and of that group, there is about 10 to 12 who are considered like the core clique here. They were like the the original OG when I was reading the research, I was a little surprised. I was like, oh, these, some of these names I'm not super familiar with. You know what I mean? Like, I, I guess mm-hmm. you think of a, a core group. The actual group is larger than you think it is. Yes, definitely. There's definitely some names on here that we're not super familiar with. But the highlights, the one that people do know, of course, George Washington, John Adams, Sam Adams. He's got a beer named after him. Ooh. Ben Franklin, Alexander Hamilton of musical fame. 
Patrick Henry, <laughs> Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, John Marshall, George Mason. And, you know, those are considered kind of the, the core group there. John and what Hancock they did. should be in there somewhere, right? He he signed things. He, <laughs> John he Hancock. did. He He's known for that. He's the I first believe. one, right? I don't know if he was the first, but he had the best penmanship. <laughs> so what did these folks do as we kind of hinted at? I did not so much research the history behind the American Revolution. I will say that they did something pretty impressive in, in that time when we did earn our independence, win our freedom from great mother England. <laughs> we established a country here in the United States that was not like any other that we know of, yep. where it was based on an idea, right? So before that, other countries, they're all centered on a common religion or mm-hmm. ethnicity or heritage. Mm-hmm. But Americans, we all have one thing in common. That's why we founded this country. And that one thing is a love of money. No, <laughs> but it's up there. But it's the idea of freedom and, you know, individual liberties and, and those Inalienable kind of rights is the foundation of the entire country. And you know what? I mean, even talking about it now, it still makes me feel a little bit proud. Oh, absolutely. I mean, because it's, like you said, it, how different it was. It, the Constitution was written under the assumption, not that the government grants you these rights, because Pretty much every other country, even to this day, really, or, you know, back in the day, were founded on the idea, this is what we'll give you, like, as your Mm. government. This is the Constitution states, as human beings, these are our rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And again, we'll get into that (laughs) about who uh, is included in that. But the idea was revolutionary. The Revolutionary War. I mean, it was a revolution against England, but really it was a revolutionary idea. Yes, and definitely portrayed beautifully in the PBS show Liberty's Kids, which is where I get 80% of my Revolutionary War history. I get 80% of mine from John Adams on HBO, which I would definitely recommend. It is an awesome miniseries. Totally check it out. What's his name? Uh, I want to say Rudy Giuliani, and that's not him. What's the Giuliani guy? The I actor. don't know. Who are, look who you're talking uh, to. You guys know who I'm talking about. The, the They're probably shouting it. I know. Uh, <laughs> Paul Giamatti. Not not Giuliani, Paul Giamatti. Giamatti yes, whatever. because that clears up exactly who that is to me now. Yeah, I, I can picture him. It. Other people know. I'm, I'm the odd man out here. So we kind of waxed poetic a little bit about what made America special at that time. And that is the belief that all men are created or all of us are created equal. But therein lies also the biggest hypocrisy of our young, young nation is that we weren't equal, right? There was only a very specific subset of humans who were considered equal and guaranteed those rights. And it did not include you and I. And it did not include people of color. Yeah. That's why I think a lot of the flack comes from, right? So there's... And there's a lot of layers of, of that hypocrisy, too. We believe all people are created equal, but we have slaves. And mm-hmm. founding fathers themselves, the people who wrote that, they not only let slavery stay legal in the colonies, they owned slaves themselves. Many despite, of them. Not all of them. Yes, almost all of them, though. Despite the fact that several on paper or had gone on the record saying that they didn't believe in it, yet they still owned them. Yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy to think about in, in the John Adams HBO series. There's this really uh, poignant scene. And, and they t- in John Adams, they talk about, 
you know, the women's suffrage movement, like John Adams' wife was a suffragette early before even such a movement really existed, you know, and think of her. I mean, she's in such a position of power, like in the sense of like, my husband is the one that's working on this and they just couldn't sell it. You know what I mean? And so it was like, I'm sorry, honey. (laughs) And but another scene was when uh, right towards the end, you know, Washington is elected president and they're building the White House. And I mean, slaves built the White House. Oh, yes. And the film, you know, that they made, the scene where you just, you see them like George Washington, I think, or John Adams, one of them is walking into the White House and you see the slaves like just turn and look at him with like just such an apathetic look in their eye. And that scene broke my heart to think it's like, oh, con- congratulations. Like, and here I am. You're not my president. I don't belong in this country. I belong to a human, according to you. And I don't belong to a human. Obviously, my soul is free. My, my natural way of being is free. And I certainly don't belong here. It was just such a sad moment and a very poignant. We, our country, is built on that inequality from the get-go and mm-hmm. that kind of very much like sour ground. Well, so it you certainly can muddies bi- the water when you're talking about how great of achievement it was. So then you can totally understand where folks are coming from when they say, why celebrate the founding fathers when they had this huge this huge contradiction. They were just a walking contradiction, yeah. at, just like our country at that point. So not only <laughs> were, was the country itself kind of built on that problem but they also did a lot of weird stuff too they also not all of them were the best people in their personal lives which oh wow rich and powerful men are not always great i was gonna say gas isn't that how it works if you are rich powerful large amount of influence i generally think that deep down at your core you're probably pretty corrupt is that jaded of me i don't know yeah i don't think necessarily uh nice people are the most successful people in the world agreed that's why i'm so such with- a bitch <laughs> <laughs> sitting on your piles of money with yeah. your bitch attitude laura my so many so many piles all the piles <laughs> well the only thing we're sitting on is piles of clothing because we're in our closets yeah i know <laughs> Hey guys, Laura here. We all know that Americans are famous for their love of money, and the best money is easy money, right? But does easy money even exist? If you want to hear more about the scams and side hustles that are going on in America today, check out this new podcast called Don't Fall for That by Allie Moore. Welcome to Don't Fall for That, a podcast about popular fads, side hustles, and straight up scams. You know, things you probably shouldn't be falling for. I'm your host, Ali Moore, and each and every week I will investigate a topic that may, or may not be, something you should watch out for. I'll be diving deep into these topics using science-backed research and then testing things out for myself. If you've ever wondered what the white tax is, or if you want to know if your friend John really made thousands in Forex trading, check out Don't Fall For That. I'll be seeing you soon, but in the meantime, don't fall for that. So I took the liberty of creating some rap sheets for our founding fathers to summarize some of their more... There are more bad deeds here. So kind of at the center of this whole Founding Fathers contradiction is a man by the name of Thomas Jefferson. Mm. And while he was integral in the part of making our country 
what it is today, right? Mm-hmm. He's he, he was a big dude. He uh, bought the land that we're all sitting in, well, that Laura and I are sitting in right now. Yeah. Um, Louisiana and Purchase, he, right? Yes. And he made some words on paper that really motivated people. He wrote the Declaration of Independence. What? What? And some other stuff, I believe. Again, I didn't research the actual history part, just this. I think what I know from National Treasure, I think, did he write the uh, the Constance uh, letters or something like that? I don't know. That's my, my American history knowledge comes from both National Treasure and the John Adams HBO show. Is there any more history outside of National no, Treasure? That's all you need to know. <laughs> Yeah, so he did some pretty big things. He's got a statue of himself in Washington, D.C. That's pretty tall. Um, But he is also at the center of this whole thing because he was not great in his personal life. Not only did he live in a big Virginia plantation that was built by slaves, he also is notorious for having a, um, I can't even call her a mistress because I doubt she had any consent in the situation. It was a slave, right? Yes, so he sired a lot of children with a woman named Sally. No, yes, Sally. A woman named Sally. Um, a, that was enslaved. He enslaved her and then um, you can dot, dot, dot. So now there is that angle too. So it's how how well could he have treated the people that were enslaved by him? And not only is he a big kind of fancy boy in his fancy <laughs> house called Monticello, he was also really rich and really elitist, kind of that very much head in the clouds, all about book learning, and made him kind of snotty too when people disagreed with him. He was a little bit like... And not, not so much in... Uh, understanding the plight of the uh, the regular guy exactly so then we move to john adams who i mean we could expect nothing less than for him to be kind of a fiery dude he was at the center of the boston tea party he was I, yes good i'm glad i got that right but he was just kind of moody and salty he was you know i can relate to him i feel like he's the one i relate to the most because he is uh, uh he never felt like his contribution was recognized enough He's kind of, I mean, I, I think that probably of all the founding fathers, he might be the most, like, sensitive. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, yeah, moody. Like, I feel like a lot of people who do great things are, are, and a lot of artists, you know, are very actually depressive people. And I think that John Adams falls into this category. Like, he's uh, a little bit persnickety, you know, different than other people. Um and, and a little, he's he's a sad boy. I think John Adams is a little bit of a sad boy. Aww. Well, that's probably how he got Abigail then, because she was like, uh, you know, she was a catch, it sounds like, yeah. being a suffragette or someone who was for women's suffrage before. Yeah. And that made me think century also. before. Yeah. It made me think of um, how that a lot, I mean, if you notice, I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe this is a, a too, it, it's definitely too broad of a statement because there are people who definitely don't fall into this category but because there are a lot of rich and powerful men who marry supermodels you know 10 years their junior and have nothing to contribute to a conversation but i feel like you can tell a lot about somebody like a lot of great men have great women as wives do you know what i mean because they don't want to sit around with some vapid you know dummy i think that really men with character want a woman with equal intelligence that that's one of the things that makes me really like john adams is because his wife was awesome 
Yes. And I'm going to help you with that statement by saying good men or men of character don't view women as objects or, yeah. you know, trophies. Yep. So that's kind of the long and short of it, right? Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so obviously he had that going for him. I really just love the, the, the bitterness and the salt <laughs> that he had as well. He said at one point during his long and storied career that the American Revolution would be remembered as that time Dr. Franklin's electrical rod smote the earth and outsprung George Washington. Because he was like, that's all anybody cares about is Ben Franklin and George Washington. George, George, George. Like, what about me? And the sarcasm is pretty great, too. Oh, my God. That's probably my favorite thing about researching anything in history is that they are just like us. Like, they lived 300 years ago, but they were so similar. Mm -hmm. I mean, people are people. I mean, they also pooped into buckets, but that that's probably the biggest difference. I mean, we poop into buckets, too. It's just buckets that happen to flush. <laughs> that's true. I don't have a poop bucket under my bed. Thank or God. Do I? <laughs> or do I? <laughs> but let's get back into this rap sheet. So George Washington, the guy who smited, smutted, smooted. Smooted. I prefer smooted. Smooted. He smooted right out of uh, Dr. Franklin's electrical rod. That sounds I know. I was going to say, that sounds very dirty. <laughs> so he popped out of there, and he his, his biggest infraction was owning people. I mean, and that's a pretty big infraction. It is. He owned slaves, and he advocated against it, at least said he was against slavery, but he didn't stop him from owning people. Did he inherit these from his family? He did. He owned slaves from the time he was 10 years old and his papa died and left yep. him a farm yep. that he loved more than America yep. and a um, some people. We'll get into... Go, go ahead. Continue. <laughs> we will continue. And so then, of course, the man with the lightning rod himself... Ben Franklin was a total philanderer. That guy was a trip. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, George Washington isn't the only thing springing out of his electric rod, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> because he was going all over Europe, and he was really having himself a good time. He really and liked I mean, Paris. But yeah, he painted himself as very much a salt-of-the-earth guy, self-made. But he loved running around with the aristocracy, the bourgeoisie in that, Europe. You know that makes me think? That makes me think of somebody who really, like, imposter syndrome. Do you know what I mean? You're like, I'm a self-made man. I don't need to prove anything to anybody. I'm like, but I want to hang out with these rich, super cool people. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It's, it's definitely falls into like the new money category where oh, it's absolutely. like I've, I'm successful and to prove it, I have to be around other rich, successful people or it gets into like, oh, I think I'm better than other people. So I have to be around because that's the thing with the, with the royalty and the thing that we don't have in America is that privilege and success was something you could inherit genetically. Yeah. Here, it's something you earn. But in mm-hmm. Europe, it was because you were better than other people. Yeah, you're, you're inherently better. Like your, your genes bloodlines. just make you so fucking amazing, which is such a bizarre concept to me uh mark twain wrote this amazing book as a connecticut yankee in king arthur's court and it's a really entertaining read and it's pretty much all about that it's it's very entertaining yeah mark twain he had a, he has some good quotes he has some good ones i feel like um, everything that's spewed out of his mouth is amazing but anyway i digress yeah so those are kind of like the key players in some of the some of the uh, dishonors that they have to their name. And I'm sure there are a ton more. Yeah. I mean, there's what, 12 founding fathers? <laughs> yes. I mean, even with these guys, I think there was one of the founding fathers locked his wife in his basement until she killed herself. Oh, Jesus. And- Who is yes. that? <laughs> 
I don't know. He wasn't. He didn't. He wasn't the one on the ones I knew off the top of my head. So I just kind of glossed over. I didn't that. write it down. Yeah, basement wife died. Whatever. You know, just some of the heinous things that happened in in that time, three hundred years ago. Locking your wife in a basement, pooping in a bucket. It was horrible. <laughs> Life just sucked. Not only were they just kind of philanderers, maybe a little bit rough in their personal lives, a little bit contradictory, maybe have a little bit of ego involved there. But politics itself was also just kind of schmutty. Dirty business. I mean, I mean has that changed? <laughs> it went away for a while. I was reading about this in light of the election and the, the debates where we got a little bit more civil when it comes to politics. But the name hurling or the mudslinging, the name calling, the just shut up, man. That's, you know, politics. That's how it's been in America and in our history. And these founding fathers were no different. First Continental Congress was essentially a frat house. They were drunk all the time. Yeah. And and I love it when people talk about it. It's like, oh, things aren't like they used to be. It's like, things are always the way they used to be. Like, if you read about, like, press coverage during World War II and, like, all this stuff, like, oh, my God, these reporters, they pulled shit out of their ass. And we're like, yeah, this is happening. They accuse people of, like, being a homosexuals and and transgendered, like, which at the time was, of course, the worst thing you could ever say about somebody, you know, like, and they would just Mm -hmm. pull this shit out of their ass and and report on it. This is just the this is it's just politics. Well, actually, no, that's not politics. That's journalism, which has always been shit, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Oh, there's some good journalists in the world. Oh, are there? Name me some places that I should look at them. I'm merely interested, but. <laughs> the BBC. Oh, OK, OK. The international and, news. Uh, NPR are two of my personal favorites. Mm. And apparently the Smithsonian has some pretty good yeah. articles, too, because I pulled one up for this next section that we're going to dig into. So we covered kind of the sins yep. of the founding fathers. So now we're going to talk about, you know, the redeeming factors about them too. They're bad, but here's the case for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, that case is put really nicely in an article I found on the Smithsonian Magazine. That's really, it's call to action or it's call, it's key message was, sure, they were not great. They They had these parts of their lives that were not bad, but should we judge their entire contribution to America, to the world, based on this kind of one aspect of their lives. Mm-hmm. And it focuses in on two of kind of like the key finding founding fathers who are the ones I feel like we've naturally talked about the most. Naturally. Naturally, actually, but it's not John Adams. So maybe we haven't talked about them a ton. But he focuses in the author on Washington and Jefferson, mm-hmm. right? Because they're kind of, they're both very important. If you look at the mall in Washington, D.C., there's three presidents who are commemorated there. Jefferson Monument. Yes, Jefferson. Lincoln Memorial and mm-hmm. the uh, Washington Monument. Yes. And, I mean, it's the whole place is named after him. Fun fact. Did you know why Washington uh, Monument is a uh, obelisk and not an actual statue? No, tell me. George Washington uh, was a Quaker, which means that um, statues and like basically graven images are frowned upon. So he did not want a giant statue of himself in like the Romanesque style that was so popular of the time. You know, you see Liberty, you know, this beautiful oh, yeah. woman draped with the toga and all this kind of stuff that they they had come up with some like, what about this? What about this? And he's like, nah, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's not it, it was uh, totally against his character and against the way he was raised. So that is why Washington's monument does not include a face of him at all. Whereas wow. the Jefferson Memorial has a giant statue of Jefferson in the middle of it. 
It does. And as you all know, Abraham Lincoln is in his memorial as well. Which is an awesome. It's so so cool. Yes. I really like that memorial. And I also was very impressed with the Jefferson one as well when I went as a child and did not realize that he was as important as he was or played such a pivotal part. Yeah. Which, I mean, I guess he is important. I should say that. Importance isn't tied to quality you can be important and be very very bad yeah but here's what makes them good right so jefferson you know he might not have done a lot of great things in his personal life but he was truly a visionary it was a president or no it wasn't a president it was somebody who said that you can't have a bad hour in his company like you talk to jefferson for an hour and you leave inspired you leave seeing the potential in the world that's a leader that is right and he motivated others he wrote words that inspired a revolution mm-hmm. and then george washington on the other side of that too was um real salt of the earth just like a decent human being you he know was a, he was a war hero That too, yeah. He came up through there. He single-handedly turned the revolution around. Oh, I don't want to say single-handedly, but he was a key player in turning us from a bunch of guerrilla soldiers into like a true army that was able to defeat the biggest empire in the world, Yep. which is something I should also say. That we should have said in the very beginning, which is, uh, you know, who are the founding fathers? They are the folks who who did that. They were these guys in, in a wilderness, the new world, in the mm-hmm. middle of nowhere. And they stood up and defeated the biggest empire in the world. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that just feels good. I mean, we love an underdog story in America. And yep. it's because that's we were born we were, of one. Yeah, we were the underdogs. Well, I mean, you can talk a, a lot about American history and about how um, – also, that the American Revolution spawned a lot of other revolutions around the world, too. It did. Against, you know, not, not only England, but also to other, uh, col- you know, colonizers and the French Revolution, Haitian Revolution, which is pretty fucked up if you read about it. But <laughs> it's uh, it was inspiring not only to us in the future, but to the entire world at the time. Yes. And I mean, you can't discount that as well. So, um, and you also can't discount the fact that by putting themselves out here, out there, like by signing a pen on paper, they were putting their lives at risk, right? That's treason. I mean, yes. If this had not gone in their their favor, they would have all been shipped back, especially Mm -hmm. George Washington, because he was the leader of the army, Mm -hmm. shipped back to London where they would have died horrific deaths. I think the, um... Punishment for treason at the time was being drawn and quartered, which if you aren't familiar with that torture of the era, they would tie each of your legs and each of your arms to four separate horses. That's the drawn part. (laughs) Yes. And then they'd whip them and then they would pull you and pull you into four pieces. That's the quartered part. So they were, I mean, and that kind of leads to my next point is that that was punishment corporal government punishment they couldn't have been that civilized honestly i know we said 300 years ago there's still people they're just like us but they're shitting in buckets and tearing people apart so to me it's kind of a a non sequitur that we can really expect them to be against slavery at that time when they're also doing horrible horrible basically like caveman shit to each other yeah the world is a savage fucking place and really like only within the last 100 years have we kind of like 
quote, tamed it. You know what I mean? If you think it's it's crazy to me, if you think about the 1950s, um, like, you know, you think of the housewife with her poofy dress as she wanders around her house in the pearls, in the pearl, full, full makeup and with her appliances and all that kind of stuff. Somebody could be alive in the 1950s and experience the insanity of the Wild West in the 1890s. 60 years. Oh, yes. You mean like they could have experienced both. They could have had the white picket fence and been in a gun duel. Yeah. It's bizarre. (laughs) Well, and to be fair, and the Wild West was also still happening in the 50s. People were getting lobotomized. Yeah. And human atrocities and tragedy has been happening. And like you said, we are getting we're getting better every day. Mm hmm. And that's a good thing. And we're getting better exponentially, right? So it's hard to it's hard to take where we are today and and put it on people. Yes. Who also, you know, kids died every day. Babies died every day. Death was a part of your life. Yeah, that's why you had 10 of them, because half of them would die. Yeah. <laughs> you die not in a sterile hospital. You would fester and smell and vomit and shit. And it was just life was dirty and gross. Yeah. Maybe for these ritzy boys who who did the revolution with their powdered wig, that was probably a little bit more, maybe a step above. But you best believe every single one of them smelled bad still. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. George Washington had wooden, wooden teeth. teeth. Which yeah. I don't think they were really wooden, were they? They're ivory. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they might uh, have been slaves' teeth, too. Who knows? <laughs> oh, God, who knows? God, trying to imagine trying to get a match set. How long would that take? But, I mean, I think you, you really hit the nail on the head. Is Can you apply modern morals retroactively? Is that fair? Is that a logical way to go about things? Like, can you judge people by what we now consider uh, to be no- a no-brainer? Yeah, I don't think it's fair. I I personally don't. No, I, me neither. I don't think we can hold these things against them because it's like asking a fish, why do you like water? But they can't. They don't know anything else. Because I live in water. I don't know. They, that's all <laughs> they see is water. Instead of punishing or not punishing or by like turning a negative eye towards people who are living by the standards of their world that they exist in, we should be celebrating the people who have the insane foresight to go against the grain and suggest something different. Yeah. And one of those people is a founding father that is far, far too unknown in the world. And I only learned about him when I was in high school and I went on a family trip to D.C. and we're wandering around, wandering, wandering, and we stumble into this monument for this man who I had never heard of. Where is it? Who, is it in the National Mall or somewhere else? It's They think it's in the National Mall. It's okay. somewhere around there. And it's for this man named George Mason. And in my notes, I wrote down, he is the founding father we don't deserve. <laughs> so he was a part of this and he was there and he was adamantly opposed to slavery. And he didn't just say it and then continue to own slaves like, you know, a solid chunk of the founding fathers did. He really pushed for it and continued to fight for emancipation and, and the uh, null- nullification of slavery in, in the colonies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, what we didn't mention, I mean, uh, we kind of touched on the hypocrisy of it, but a a good portion of the founding fathers were abolitionists, like at their heart. Um, They might have owned some slaves because they were inherited through their family, but that was really part of their future goal is to get rid of slavery and that that sell 
just wasn't going to fly at that time. Yes. And it's also not only something that they needed, they couldn't touch to keep half of the colonies invested, right? The southern south, who is the richest part of the colonies, they had to have the south. If they did not have the south on board, if they did not also join the revolution, we absolutely would have lost. They had all of the money in the south. Exactly. So they needed to kind of compromise on that to keep them in. And then they it made... To them, it seemed like something that was an okay compromise because they were looking to the future. Back then, slavery was not going to be profitable for for much longer. And that's why the rest of the world beat America to abolishing it because it wasn't working. I mean, at the end of the day, hello, capitalism, that's kind of it, it's horrible, but that's the way the cookie crumbles is once it stops becoming profitable, that's when you see change. Um, What they could not have predicted was the invention of the cotton gin that would Mm -hmm. make slave labor insanely profitable because it it would just speed up the process. Mm -hmm. And then make it impossible for them to continue running these plantations and paid labor. They couldn't do it at the same time. So they it was either free your slaves or fall into ruin. And I mean, as much as we would like to hold ourselves on this high moral pedestal, can you put yourself in those shoes and realize that maybe you wouldn't hold the high horse that you think you would? If somebody told you, all right, you got to stop doing this or else you are going to literally be out on the street. If you stop, it's the moral thing to do, but you are going to be out on the street. Are you really going to stop? No, I don't think so. And I think people, not even between going out on the street, it's making slight changes to your life. <laughs> people are so adamant against that that it doesn't have to be between success Yeah, I mean, and look at us. We can't even fucking wear a mask to go to the store. Yes, God forbid somebody say, oh, wear a mask, you might save someone's life. Nope, that's my personal freedom. Yeah, exactly. That's, yes, That that's going back to it. And so not only is it, maybe it's not a giant hypocrisy. Maybe it's not a giant blind spot in our founding fathers' lives. But maybe it was something that they weighed the cost and the benefits of. And they made the best decision they could at the time, which was to keep the southern colonies invested to earn our freedom and then expecting this horrific institution to die off within a couple decades. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a lot, something that a lot of people now, or at least it seems that way. I can't speak for the world, obviously, but it seems to me that people have either miscounted or don't understand the power of incremental change. Things don't do a 180. Things sure happen in time. You move the needle in short bursts. You don't move it all at once. It just it doesn't happen overnight. You have to make some sort of, quote, compromise. If you think a compromise is a loss, oh, my God, you are going to have a sad, sad, disappointing life because that's that's how you change things is through compromise. And it might not be done, you know, in the timeline that you want. It might not be done in a year or five years. It might be done in 50 years, but you're going to get there and you're going to get people on your side as opposed to trying to force them to do things, you know? It's Arguably. just like a frog. You know, you put a frog in a water, you, you know, you turn, you turn up, you know, the boiling, you know, hot water boiling frog, you put them in there, you turn it up slowly, they don't get it. And, I mean, and I know that maybe, maybe it's a negative yeah, that's kind of like, to put ooh. on it. But I mean, but that's how change happens is you can't thrust it on people all at once. You have to do incremental change and make compromise 
to get where you want to be. And I think it's arguable that compromise was also something that made our country great back in the day when we used to make compromises. Now it's all or nothing. (laughs) uh, Exactly. We've created a system that rewards appealing to the extremes. So that's fun. And also something George Washington was against. Preach, sister. Preach. Oh, yeah. It's a two-party system, right? Yeah. He he said a two-party system was going to totally tank our country. And maybe we are seeing that today. Yeah. Good I call, will. I mean, Joe, I will say G Washington. I mean, he knew I what he was talking about. So that was weird. <laughs> I, I was going like, to give him a, <laughs> to mm-hmm. give him like a cool nickname, G like G Wash, and then sounds it like a totally bad name tanked. of a denim brand, G <laughs> Wash. But yeah, yeah, and I think that that's. I think we've actually <gasps> have we transitioned to our musings, our philosophical Ooh, musings, or we? I think to, we have. It happened Yay. naturally. Yes, I love when things happen naturally. And the best naturally. thing <laughs> to do about natural about things that happen naturally is to call it out specifically and draw uh-huh. attention to it. Just like when it's a joke, you have to make sure you say you made a joke. And then that explain makes it. Extra it. Funny. Yeah, and then, makes it extra yes. funny. I, how else will people know that you're trying to make a joke? Precisely. <laughs> well, I mean, we've already kind of touched on it, but what, what standard should we judge these historical figures? What standard should we uphold them to? Their time, the standards of their time, because that's all that they can do. They don't know the future. They don't know what's next to come. You are only as good as the information that you have. Yes. And making the decisions based on that and trying to do your best and what's best with that. It does not always work. I mean, it's it's not like they didn't know that slavery was wrong. I feel like that is something... It, it, it may be it's hypocritical, but it's something to really point at, in my opinion, that many of them were abolitionists, that that was their end goal, but they just couldn't get there yet. And because I, I've heard some people talk about um, slavery of like, oh, people just didn't know any better. You know, they didn't think it was bad. I'm like, maybe. I mean, it was a part of the world lexicon. You know, slaves have been around <laughs> since the beginning of time. You know, uh, you read about them in the Bible. But to say that people of the time didn't know that what they were doing was wrong, I think is bullshit. Because my, one of my f- most definitive things to point to in this was that it was illegal to teach a slave to read. Why do you think that is? Oh. <laughs> you know, because they knew if people, if slaves got educated and were able to prove uh, that they were pro- people. Exactly. Then then that would be well, not even just proof that they're people. If they were to, able to be educated and understand their world m- better, then that is a risk to them not doing their jobs, you know, re- being revolutionary, gathering, doing leadership. You know, that was what they wanted to avoid at all costs in the South in the later years. They knew exactly what they were doing was wrong. But again, that profit was too high for them to make those moral concessions for the the Southern slave owners. I feel like may, maybe it's hypocritical of me to say the founding fathers are different, uh, you know, in that. But I think that because they were abolitionists, because George Washington did free his slaves later in his life. John Adams, I think, was not a slaveholder at all, if I'm correct. Maybe that's just part of my personality to say, like, I think there is strength in admitting your own hypocrisy as opposed to just being like, oh, I didn't know better. I appreciate clarity of motive or clarity of action and saying, yes, I own slaves. Yes, it's hypocritical as fuck. 
I respect that more than I own slaves, but I think it's okay. Yeah, Does that and, make sense? and I agree. And I think you're I uh, think you're spot on by saying that they they knew it was wrong. I think that they probably at the time realized that it was wrong or they had an inclination, but they didn't do anything because it's a going to affect their life and we resist change at all cost. Yes. All cost. And B, there's a lot of social pressure and I believe that that is very powerful. I don't I know we differ on that opinion slightly, but there's a lot of risk with disagreeing with the group in your world. There's a lot of pressure there. And going down that line of thinking, you know, obviously this might not be as blatant as slavery, but we are all doing stuff today that we know are wrong and know is wrong. And future generations might, well, are definitely going to judge us for something. What what? do you think that those things are? Oh, and I feel like you know the answer and I'm like, I have to give like the right answer. I have ideas. Do you want me to talk? Yes, you go first. <laughs> okay, so there's two major things that I think are going – future generations are going to be like, what the F is wrong with you? Um, I said that because it's early in the day. What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> can't swear before 5 o'clock. Um, I, and one of them is going to be factory farming and consuming animals. I, it's, I, I know it's wrong. I know those animals suffer. I, it's not how anything should live its life. But God damn it if I just can't shake eating meat. A hundred percent agree with that. Like factory farming. It's not the fact of eating an animal. I think that eating an animal is the most natural thing in the world. Exactly. Like you go out to the savanna, hello. And that's why I feel much better about people who do their own hunting. I hate it when people are like, oh, those people are so cruel. I'm like, they're a lot less hypocritical than you are. They're going out and they're doing the deed themselves and bringing it home yeah, to the table. Yeah, but with their super scopes and their da-da-da-da, it's not like, I don't know. It, would you rather be that deer that was living a happy little life, you know, in the woods and then, you know, had a little bit of suffering and then died and then ended up on someone's plate? Or would you rather be the cow that is sitting there in that tiny stall? Yeah, but this deer are not replacing the cow on any scale. It's not like those people were like, oh, I'm going to forget meat for the next couple months because I have a deer. I know some people who don't really observe this deer season thing, <laughs> and that's what they eat all the time. Oh, my gosh. Well, I bet they play a lot of banjo. I, they don't have a lot of money. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, so yeah. that's interesting. Living off the grid. But that's the thing that it's like I definitely think how we are raising our meat to be processed is going to be looked. It's barbaric. Yeah. Yeah. It's horrible. And here I am. I'm not going to pay the extra $2 a pound for grass-fed meat. How could I expect somebody to give up their million-dollar plantation yeah. in the 1800s? And I mean, granted, yeah. human suffering is – I still don't believe human suffering and animal suffering are the same. Future yeah. might think it's different. Any kind of living suffering might be equivalent in their eyes. But I – It will never be equivalent in my eyes. Well, <laughs> we're products of our time, you know? Yeah. I just think that that's the way the world's going to go eventually. But – but but today, I don't think it's the same. So, I mean, I'd like to think that if I was in that situation that I would, you know, be poor to, to save people. But here I am. I won't even pay a couple dollars more a pound. So I don't think a lifestyle change of that nature is something you can expect the average Joe to just be like, yep, sign me up on. Let's sign yep. me up for that. Totally. And then I think the other thing that we're going to kind of be shamed for is our dependency on fossil fuels and and using cars and how we use cars. I think that future generations are going to be like, what's going on there? We're polluting the earth. It's a very much. Oh, so like, okay, like emissions and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. When we could have developed alternative fuel sources a long time ago. 
but we keep using cars. Every American owns a car, it uh, feels like, plus some, you know, where we're yeah. from, people have a car, if not multiple cars per person in their household. And A, the consumption is just crazy. Buying a new yeah. heavy piece of heavy machinery every couple years. I think that that might be a thing, but I don't think it, it makes as much sense as it does with the animals, like you're saying. Like, because... Uh, it, it's a large investment to buy an electric car. There's also, you know, the self-driving car is going to revolutionize the way that we transport ourselves. I think there's a lot of, um, I guess, infrastructure that's in the way of making it easy for us to give up our cars. I think that one's a little bit less obvious. But one of the things that I thought about, and, and maybe this is stupid, I don't know, but I, I heard about it on another podcast and it made me think, owning pets. No, that's what I was going to point out because yeah. that colleague who commented, oh, maybe it was the white oh slave God, owners. Oh, my God, we have to talk about this after about who this is. I'm so curious. Oh, yes. So they also are very big fans of their pets and they post a lot of pictures of them. And I wanted to say in the future, future generations might think your domesticated companion animals are slaves. Yeah, exactly. So people who have like big problems with zoos and I, I, I'm, I have some problems with zoos. It's complicated, but it's like complicated. how people are, people are like, oh my god, zoo animals! How dare you do that to them? And you're enslaving them. That's not how they were meant to live. I'm like, well, isn't my house basically a zoo for my two cats? Yeah, <laughs> you know. So am I a terrible person for domesticating this animal? Peta would say yes. Wow, they're saying that you're doing it okay by giving them a loving home, but domest there should be no domestication and. I can see the point because we breed these little babies who love us and are dependent on us. And then people treat them like shit. And there's so much suffering. that's the problem is that people treat them like shit. It's not necessarily that they are, you know, taken into our houses. I think it's that people treat them disposable like property. And that's what's really sad. Just yes. like just like slaves. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, it's the same thing. And I do think that people might see that in the future and yeah. to me it's crazy I, I go back and forth right one day I was like isn't it wild that I have this little mentally handicapped wolf living in my house because that's what domestication does it it mentally it stunts your development right so our dogs are the equivalent brain function you know capability of young wolves right that's as yeah. much as they'll develop in life I was like how weird is it that I have this wolf thing in my house but then on the flip side, it's almost weirder if you don't. I mean, we've been evolving together for 40,000 years. That's mm -hmm. a long time. I mean, I guess maybe not in the billions of years the Earth's been around, but I, it's a considerable chunk of time to be developing together. It's not as, I think, as nefarious as like, oh, we're going to take these wild animals, especially with, with wolves and cats. And it was symbiotic. It wasn't us capturing wild buffalo or bison and then turning them into, you know, brain dead things that we feed into meat grinders. Yeah. yeah, I mean I love my I love my kitty cats and I treat them wonderfully, you know, and, and I, I like to think that we give each other I mean, they seem to like me. <laughs> yeah. You know? But is it because you're holding them hostage to some extent, right? Because they have Stockholm to like syndrome. you because you're the one who feeds them. They'll never provide for themselves. They'll never be self sufficient. Bug okay, Bug was a street cat before I got him. Can you believe it? Like he was such a sweet little angel, I know. but he was a street cat. He, he was doing poorly, but he was a street cat. They found him and he was like all raggedy, like his like he wasn't oh. getting enough to eat, so his fur was all falling out and everything, and they took him oh, and nursed him back bug. to health and then I took him home. I'm confident that if you were to let him out, like he would be able to generally, you know, better than 
Then maybe Frida. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, my dog is not. Yeah, she's not. Not a. Not close. She's forgotten all of her wolf instincts. <laughs> Dodge, however, is a total like spaz. Like he doesn't know what to do with anything. And I, I thought about this too in the way because I almost sent that back to the coworker. I almost sent that back to him, saying like, "Oh, well, you might be doing something that future generations considered." Just as bad, and I'm hesitant to say just as bad, and I'm hesitant to no, even bring up not, this analogy. It's not just as bad, but but in the same vein, this analogy in general, I I was worried because let's just iterate that we do not think that slaves and pets are the same. They're very yeah. different. One is Absolutely. a human being, as we've established, that human being suffering is much more um, important and terrible than animal suffering. Yes, especially at the hands of other human beings. Yes, yes. I mean, I would say, okay, maybe this is hot take, but if if I was in the savannah and my cat was in the savannah and a tiger, I mean, sorry, wow, this is National Geographic's here. maybe? Yeah, and a lion killed me and my cat. It would probably our suffering would be the same there, right? Because it's it's out of our hands. It's just life. It's just nature. But when we take ownership of nature as we do. It, we become responsible, right? And we're responsible yep. for each other and knowing, because we are humans. We know what other humans experience to some extent. And to cause yep. suffering on another human is just unforgivable. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a roundabout way to get to my final kind of couple Ooh. questions for you. So all of this, there's a ton. And we always say being a human is complicated. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot of complication here. And there's a lot of layers to unpack. And we are both just kind of casual history enthusiast, right? Yeah. N- neither one of us has a degree in it or is like a, a student of history. Nope. But pulling back as many layers as as we can, are we is it okay to be proud of our country despite its deep, deep, deep flaws? Yes. I have nothing else to offer. <laughs> yes. There's no more commentary. <laughs> no more commentary. Please reference everything I just said. Yes, you are allowed. No, okay, fine. I'll say more. Uh, th- there's a quote that uh, I heard was uh, Ken Burns' documentary, The West, which is, again, another awesome series that people should watch. But in it, some one, one historian, I don't remember his name, said about the westward expansion. Mm-hmm. And I think this is true for all history. American history or anyone's, your personal history, is that this should be a source of great pride and great shame to the Mm. American people because it's fucking complicated. You know, we did great things. We achieved many, many things that people thought that were impossible. But yeah, it wasn't perfect. There is cause for shame. But we are not, we're not only our mistakes. We're everything that we do. And so the founding fathers and the founding of America is absolutely something that you're allowed to be proud of. You shouldn't gloss over it. You shouldn't forget about it. But you shouldn't let that tarnish everything about the founding fathers or about our country. That things are never 100% good or 100% bad. We all exist in this state of gray, even a country. I consider myself a progressive person. I consider myself to be a liberal person. And I think that a lot of people think that if you are that leaning, you're not proud of your country, right? You can't like America and lean liberal. And I just don't think that's true because I, I see so much greatness in the history, but also hope for the future. Because everything horrible, right? All All the atrocities... That have happened there. Are, we've we're not still 
doing them. I mean, there's still some really bad stuff, but we're always going forward. Like you said, that interim, that in, what is that? Intermental? That's not the right word. I just had instrumental. A, no, 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 no. Like the incremental. Incremental. The, the incremental improvements. Like that's so true. We've never rested on those laurels. And the fact that people are out there marching today and protesting and making the world better for future generations, that is what makes America special and ma- makes America great. And I think that, you know, what's the saying? For every action, there's an equal and opposite, an opposite reaction. reaction. Mm-hmm. And for something amazing to happen, like a country that's based on a common belief that people are, are rights are inherent and we're, we're made equal, it's going to have a negative, you know, the pendulum has to swing the other way. Mm-hmm. And as long as you're aware, as you become aware of those and, and fight to fix that, I mean, I think that righting the wrongs, even though sometimes that needle of change is not moving as fast as it needs to be, is part of what makes our country special. Yeah. And I'm glad to hear you say that, you know, uh, because I'm not a progressive liberal, (laughs) but nor do I see myself as some crazy staunch conservative. And I I hope that you don't either, Rachel. I I consider myself, you know, somewhere in in the middle um, with a with a slight leaning on the conservative side. Um, Maybe you would say more than slight. But I, I, I hope to say that you don't see me as some, you know, radical conservative. You know, I did see a lot of Ted Cruz paraphernalia around your house. What? What? <laughs> that is inherently false. I, was I did not say, vote for him like in the, the primaries. the most abominable person? On- <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have opinions on Ted Cruz we could talk about later. But anyway, but it's good to hear people say that, you know, that, that you can be progressive and you can be a liberal and you can still be proud of your country. That... I think that's awesome. And I think that's something that people a lot, again, on the on the hard wings of each spectrum don't see in each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is that commonality. Because there's, yeah, a big divide, a big divide. And I feel like a lot of us folks who do kind of hang out in the middle are forced to take on those Personas. labels, right? Mm-hmm. As yep. George Washington warned us against. Yep. For me, my motivator is social issues, right? So I know that I say I'm a progressive person, but that's just because... I can't. I mean, there's just some things you can't morally you can't go with. But yeah. that's you know, policy wise, I, 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 we're probably in a lot more of the same camps, especially fiscally, than yeah. um, you might realize. But <laughs> that comes to my final question: Are our founding fathers heroes or horrible? And I think the answer that we've landed on is that they're somewhere in between, just like all the rest of us. Just like right. Heroes, horrible, or human. Yeah. But I will say, and this is going to go back to that Instagram post that I put that was Dan in a picture of Mount Rushmore, specifically Washington, because that is Mm -hmm. his favorite president. Mm -hmm. I think that George Washington is above the human benchmark that the rest of us are at. Absolutely. He created our democracy and i think there's no better evidence of that than the words of his contemporary and rival king george the one who he fought against to win our freedom when he became the president king george says if he actually relinquishes this power he will be the greatest man of our age yep and what did he do he gave it up yep he went home Mm mm-hmm so that's the thing is like, yeah, there's some areas of gray, but I will never, ever, ever 
rescind or step back on my my belief that George Washington is an American hero. And I don't well, care what you say okay. on Instagram, random coworkers, coworker, <laughs> and all your angry faces. You post on my Instagram photo. So I think that we landed in a good spot. At least I feel good about our conversation. I'm sure I do too. There are some listeners who don't. So send us your uh, your feedback. Make the angry faces at the bottom of these social posts, and we will address it. Because <laughs> you ain't nobody till you got haters. <laughs> so thank you for listening this this far. If you have, and if even if you send us how horrible it is, I'm going to take it as a compliment because you've made it to me asking you've you. Listened. To, you, yes, yes. And you know what? If if you're mad or you're angry or you're uncomfortable, uh, hello. That's the point of the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> impolite conversations yes and so you can follow us on all the social medias all right (laughs) thank you everybody we'll be back at you next week do you hear that (gasps) yes it's the drums drums. (laughs) that's it for us we'll see you next week (laughs) bye bye